In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by Isabel, Megan, and Janae of the Space Makers podcast in discussing the hallmarks of the Christian church kid experience, including both the healthy and damaging aspects of growing up in church. This week's conversation is based around the topics and themes in chapter one of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you haven't read the book yet, I highly recommend picking up a copy so you can follow along. The best way to approach this podcast is by having the chapter read before listening to the corresponding podcast episode. The link to buy the book is in the description below. If you're a first-time listener, I would encourage you to go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crumpled Papers podcast. This is technically episode one. I know I've had a couple episodes out already, but this is the official first episode of the series following the chapters of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. And joining me for the conversation today are three very special guests. We have Isabel, Megan, and Janae from the Space Makers podcast, which we'll get into it, but we have a lot of shared background for certain reasons. One of those being that we all grew up in the same the same church, but, but not the exact same location, the same kind of umbrella organization of churches. Um, so I'm sure, you know, we, we have a lot of the same friends, we went to a lot of the same camps, all that kind of stuff. So it should be a very, very fun conversation, interesting conversation. Um, how's it going, guys? Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. We're stoked. And just quickly before we start, for our listeners, um, Isabel has a good amount of time today to be here and talk. Megan and Janae have a little bit less time. Megan's still going to be here for a good amount of time. Janae's going to be here for maybe the first 20 minutes. So I'm super thrilled that we got to have all three of them for at least some time today. And because Isabel has the most time, if it sounds like she's getting more time to talk, it's not because we're not letting Megan or Janae speak. It's because at a certain point they had to step out. Just a uh, disclaimer before we start. This episode is based off of chapter one of the book, which is titled Building Up the Kingdom. And it's all about church kids. That's the entire chapter. And that's what this entire episode is going to be based off of, is just our church kid experiences. So what I want to do first is maybe take a bit of time for each of you going through a general overview of yourself, your background, especially with church and faith, and give us that, that church kid experience background, however you want to go about it. So whoever wants to go first, go for it. Hi, I'm Isabel Gates. Some people know me as Isabel Arcelana, which was my name before I got married. Um, but I was born in the Philippines, actually, to two full-time ministers at the time. Um, and then when I was about seven, we moved to Texas. And I like got baptized and did all the things, the studying the Bible pretty young. I was like, 12. And then I think I got baptized like right when I turned 13. So pretty young and did all the, did all of the kingdom kid churchy things. I did worship team and, um, all of the youth cores. I interned for hope. I even worked for hope for a while. I did a Bible talk leading. And I think I counted at one point during college, I was dedicating like almost 40 hours a week to church stuff because I signed up for everything, did all the things, very involved. And then um, um, pandemic happened and we started 
space makers, which I know we'll get into. Um, but that just that time, I think, changed a lot of the way that I function with my faith as, as well as with a lot of people is what I'm hearing. Just for full transparency, I'm no longer part of that church organization that I grew up in. Obviously, still love a lot of people there. I'm still grateful for a lot of things that I received from growing up there. I'm not like not talking to anyone from the church or anything like that, but um, no longer attending. And then I just moved to New York City as of last month, actually. So that's me. Great. Awesome. Who's next? I can go next. Um, I'm Megan, and I also grew up in, quote unquote, the church. And my parents, they met in the church and, you know, they had me and my sister. And so I just grew up as like your typical kingdom kid. But uh, when I was around 12, they got divorced. And so that wasn't like very normal, you know, as for like the normal kingdom kid experience. Janae was actually my only friend at the time who had divorced parents. And so me and her got really close. After that, I kind of just because I was like, okay, like, you know, my parents are all like messed up or my family's messed up. I'm going to like just be the best kingdom kid I can. So I like studied the Bible, got baptized. And basically ever since then, until like about four years ago, I was like trying to be like the best typical grade A disciple you could think of. Which just for context, um, the word disciples in the Bible, of course, but in our specific uh, church organization, we use the term disciple to mean a, a baptized Christian, a person who decided to get baptized and then became like a member, quote unquote, of the church. So we call him a disciple. We had 10 plus disciples at my high school who were like baptized members of the church that we grew up in. And so we were all like known at our high school. So like being a part of quote unquote, that church. And we had like big Bible talks and our teen ministers would like travel around the country talking about our Bible talk and how we had free pizza. And so 200 people would come out and whoever was the Bible talk leader was like the guy at our high school. And um, just like being a part of something like that, like gave me such a ego boost. Like I just thought I was so much better than everybody because I was like a part of this thing. And I, I, I went into my friendships at, in high school thinking like, how can I convert them? how can I get them into like my little thing, you know? So that was like my high school experience. Um, I dated in the teens. I was like one of those girls thinking that that was going to work out for the rest of my life (laughs) as we all do. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That didn't go well as you could imagine. Um, Shocker. Yeah. And then I (laughs) went, big shocker. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then I went into college and I experienced some severe mental health issues. I had an eating disorder basically since middle school and all these things. So it looked, I looked amazing from the outside, like best kingdom kid period. But I was like crumbling, you know? So um, yeah. And then I started Lifeline when I was in college, uh, which was a, it started off as like a mental health blog and then it kind of transformed into what it is today. And I met a bunch of people who were going through um, different faith journeys, different deconstruction stuff. And then space makers kind of came out of that. And yeah. um, And then now I'm here. And now you're here. Still really passionate about, you know, speaking up about different church issues and things like that. So, yeah. That's awesome. And also you mentioned the phrase kingdom kid, which we'll get into as well for people listening who may not know what that term means. So I'm going to put a note in that too for a little later. 
All right, Janae, it's all you. All right. This is Janae. And honestly, my story is very similar. And so I won't waste too much time. But uh, yeah, I grew up with a single mom. But my family was still kind of a trademark family because of our super messy story that I had a single mom, a stepmom and a dad, and all of them were friends and went Christmas shopping together and all of them were in the church. And so that was kind of who I was. Um, And then I started out in one ministry and I moved to the same high school Megan was talking about when I was uh, 15. And yeah, we would at one point I counted we had 21 disciples in um, the high school and uh, yeah, Bible talks were lit. We had the entire freshman football team at one point. And, you know, I was thinking I was, you know, living my best life. And maybe I was honestly, it's a different time, different Janae, you know? And so, yeah, um, I went to college and my mental health, she suffered. I didn't know what was wrong. I sought a lot of help, but I didn't get the right help. Um, and that just had to do more of my medical carrier <laughs> than anything else. And yeah, I did everything uh, that I thought I was supposed to, what I thought would make me happy, what I thought would make God happy, but most importantly, what I thought would make everybody else happy. And so that part of my life is kind of it's meshed all together because um, I was in the college campus ministry for about three years before COVID hit. And then I moved back home and um, I started questioning everything about my life and stuff. And I'm sure we'll get into that later. Um, but yeah, I just, I kind of had a typical Christian kid uh, upbringing. I never, you know, quotations never did anything wrong, really. Um, I also dated in the, in the teens, zero out of 10 recommend. Um, but zero out of 10 on Yelp. <laughs> yeah. Zero out of 10 recommend, um, interesting experience, but yeah, I'm very grateful for where I am today. Awesome. So that's great. Cause I, 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 I have never met you guys in person. So this is really cool to get to know you guys a little more. Um, even though we grew up in very similar places at the same kind of time. Um, so I have a question to start off here in this chapter. I kind of go through, the beginning kind of just delves into kind of the, 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 the standout elements, the hallmarks of the Christian church kid experience, at least for what, you know, I went through and what my friends around me went through. And I'm curious what you guys, what you guys might say in your own experiences are like the hallmarks of the church kid experience that you had to experience that, that may be universal to a lot of church kids or something that just was a big deal in your own life as a church kid. What are those hallmarks? I mean, there's like all those little things like, you know, your first teen camp and, you know, like little, your, I don't know, the notebook your parents get you when you start studying Bible or like, (laughs) just like little things like that. Or I don't know, your first crush at a Hope Youth Corps for us. I don't know if that's too specific to our organization or like your first mission trip kind of thing. But then, but I guess like the overall thing is just that we were raised by people in the church who were raising us to also be people in the church is, I feel like that's the most umbrella thing. I don't know. That's, that's just what I think of is just like being raised by people who take their faith very seriously and people who want you to as well and want to carry that on. I think it's a good point in that a lot of the other, a lot of 
secondary characteristics maybe are in that direction of, oh, we're, we're growing you up to be right. whatever comes next in that direction. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. 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 That's definitely a good one. I would like to talk about the underbelly hallmarks of um, yeah, being go for it. a Christian kid. Y'all can just, you know, jump in. But I had said the first time that I had gotten uh, dress coded, uh, going to fall retreats and looking for my husband every time. <laughs> like, I wasn't married by 22. It's just the lost cause. It's downhill from there. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to want an old maid after that. 23. Be real. God had abandoned you. He was gone. It was it. Exactly. Be real. And, um, and on the way, all the awkward dates. Of course. Yeah. Way to the 22 year old marriage. Like trying to like explain like encouragement dates, explain what a deal is, like explain these things to my friends at school, I think was like a hallmark thing that like, I think we all kind of had to um, figure out. I don't know if this is like depressing, but like, or not really having that many friends at school to explain it to (laughs) because all your friends were church friends. I'm glad you said that. That's a very big part. One thing that I'll bring up is that uh, a hallmark for me was the idea that the friendships that I would make in church were the ones that had the most value and would last the longest and were the deepest, which to an extent throughout those years was true. But it may have also been a big part of that was that my intentionality, therefore, with friends that weren't in church was a lot lower because I saw them as, oh, that's a cool person, but... Oh, they're not a Christian. They don't have these values. The, the, people the you ceiling of depth. Yeah, people that can convert, yeah. but I don't know. Is it worth it? And that went a long mm-hmm. way too, I think. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was even part, like I was taught that they were almost a threat. Like that it was, I know that's a dramatic way to put it, but I, I don't know how to say it in a less dramatic way, but it was more of like a, a you know, danger or a caution of like, if you have too many friends in in school, I, I was homeschooled for uh, most of my life, but my other like homeschooly things, um, the people that I met, it's like if or even my friends who had friends at school, it was like if you had too many friends at school, hmm, might be a little careful about that. And you know, mostly your friends were the people um, in the church. If you were like doing things quote unquote the right way, I guess. Yeah, there's a. A friendship scale where if there's too many on one side, yeah. it's going to tip and you're going to be pulled this way, more right. pulled that way. And you want to be pulled towards the right people, you know, absolutely. So I want to know from your, each of your experiences, what are some beliefs or teachings or practices that you believe are healthy? And what are some that you believe are unhealthy or damaging for young people growing up in church? I have one right off the top of my head. I think what was really great about the upbringing that I had was that I really learned how to get close to people. Yeah, You know, I think I really learned, like I make friends pretty easily. Like I know how to make deep friendships. I have friendships with um, coworkers that are no longer coworkers, but we're still friends. And she's like, I'm literally not friends with anybody else from work. And I was there, you know, and I knew them longer, but here we are. And so I think that's something that I can definitely um, attribute to growing up the way that we grew up. Um, on the flip side of that, I think it can be hard for me to not naturally have an agenda when I talk to people. Mm. And so I think that was always like in my head, what, like, what am I trying to get from, you know, from somebody? And I think it comes with good intention. I don't think the intention was ever, I want to take advantage of this person. 
or I want to extort somebody's vulnerabilities. Like that's not what people are like trying to do. That was really aggressive, but like, that's not like what people are trying to do at all. I think that people genuinely care about people and they genuinely want them to figure out a relationship with God in the way that they were taught was the right way. And sometimes the only way, you know? Um, And so I think it came with a good intention, but again, I think people unfortunately and maybe subconsciously took advantage of that skill that you know we were taught of like go make friends and you know flirt to convert and like all of these different you know things and stuff um that really taught us how to um lead someone into a path of vulnerability that maybe they didn't initially want to go down in the first place to get what you want and it's kind of a manipulation tactic if you think about it sure but again it can be used as like a great relationship building tool which is what I've tried to kind of curve that towards and being like okay yeah no I can make deep friendships easily which is a great skill to have um people have said that I'm very warm and endearing and inviting and fun and all that but also again the flip side is that I have to make sure that I keep my little my extortion radar like in check of making sure that I'm not taking advantage of that skill and that I don't have like an underlying agenda, if that makes sense. No, that's great. And I, I, I talk about that too. And I think for me, at least the, the slow turn of it becoming more agendized slowly happened, like, especially as I went into college, because for me, part of campus ministry is 80% evangelization and getting guests to come to devos or whatever and it was a big thing that i noticed was oh i'm meeting a lot of people but usually it's out on campus with an intentional agenda to just get them in the door and i in the span of you know five minutes i've learned a lot about them really fast and they know me but it's not because oh i want to be friends maybe it is a little bit but it's mostly around the idea of no i want you to come here and be my plus one or whatever. And there's two sides to that coin like you were talking about. Part of it is really, really a good skill to have and part of it can really be turned. It's it's how it's utilized, I think. So absolutely. Megan, you had something? Yeah. um, I think for me, um, something I'm really grateful for is just from, especially like my experience in the teens, um, I think I learned very early on like how to take agency over the things that I care about, I definitely felt like, okay, you want to see something change, like do it, you know, or like, oh, you want to try this thing, go do it. Um, I feel like it was very much encouraged to like make a change in the ways that you want to see it change, which obviously carried through into like me doing Lifeline and us doing Space Makers or us doing Lifeline and Space Makers, whatever, whatever. And that I've seen that really carry me through my adulthood as well like in my workplace like okay how can I uh make a difference in my workplace okay how can I get involved on campus and just be like a critical thinker um I think I'm really grateful because also as much as I hated that I gave the church my all (laughs) in my adolescence I think I've learned that I like giving my best to the things that I care about And I think that that is like a good trait to have, but like not to my detriment, if that makes sense, which I definitely did do that, like in my adolescence. Yeah. So I think that was, that's something I'm definitely very grateful for that. I think I was kind of social. I don't know if that's like how much of that's nature or nurture, you know, it might be a little bit of both, but something that I definitely 
like am recovering from with the way I was socialized in the church is just how much it was sewn into us that we are inherently bad. And like just going to teen camps, going to pre-teen camps and needing to like ask for forgiveness for like things that were so small or like things that we didn't mean to do like at 10 (laughs) or 11. And of course it's good to take accountability for the ways that we hurt people. But I just remember listening to live music, like screaming, crying and throwing up about how bad of a person I was at like 11. (laughs) So deeply (laughs) convicted by it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and then I remember there being lessons about grown men telling groups of kids that like they're just as bad as like rapists and murderers for like yeah. lying. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just feel like just the things that I personally have been learning about the Genesis story and the creation story and how everything that God made is good. God made us and we're good. And we do things that are bad sometimes, but just like the inherent goodness of people, like I'm still trying to learn how to trust myself and yeah. trust that like I want to do good in this world and I'm not like an inherently evil person because that messaging is just so ingrained in me and actually like manifests itself in like my everyday life and I see it all the time and it's really frustrating that some place that was supposed to provide healing and teach me that I'm lovable and that I am worthy of grace and worthy of you know God's mercy and good things in life and all that that like I actually learned that I'm a terrible person. Like I am unworthy. You know what I mean? It's just like, it was just kind of messed up. No, I mean, I've, I mean, those ring very, very true. And I think you touched on two things about that. Big things that I think that I'll get into in different episodes, especially, but two things that can result from that kind of mindset is one is a, is shame in general, which uh, was, was, was chronic in, at least in my ministry growing up with all my friends and all my peers for, for varying different reasons, but all kind of most coming from that, that idea of, of we're just bad and we're the things that we're doing that may be not the best or even sometimes totally fine, but just in our church was looked at as not good to do, ended up making us bob into the barrel like we deserve wrath, 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 wrath. You know what I mean? So shame. And then another one I think that comes out of that what you were saying is, is a, a codependency on peers, on leaders, on people, whatever, that is a vetting process for everything you do. And out of that comes the idea that you can never fully trust yourself. That idea, you can never fully trust yourself, was a really big thing that was almost an internal gauge of the actions I took because I didn't feel like, and a lot of my friends didn't feel like we could trust ourselves to make even the simplest decisions in terms of things that may carry at least some kind of weight spiritually or not, in our lives. Um, and that also induces shame, too. So, but yeah, that, that's a great point. Great stuff. Yeah. I think it's just so interesting, like, this group, like, Space Makers, we get asked a lot of things along the lines of, like, okay, yeah, we know you guys are, are listing all the things that are unhealthy or you have to unlearn from being, from growing up in the church, but what are the good things and like, what was good about it? What were those things? And obviously we can like name things, which we have and they're really good um, insights. But I, I, I guess I was, I was thinking today, I was like, good in what way? Like what, what is this thing that we're trying to almost like quantify? Like, I feel like in a lot of these 
conversations and I'm not saying this one, but like, I've had a lot of conversations with like older people that are like, yeah, but what was good? What was great? Like, cause if you name 20 good things, but, and then there's the 15 bad things, then in the end it's great. Right. Like, you know, and, it, and right. I'm like, is that the way that we're even looking at it? I just think it's an interesting thing that we tend to do. Like maybe it's just like as humans, but I don't know, good in what way? Good to grow the church, good for that kid, good for what the parent thinks the kid should do or be like, what, right. what's the goal here? And I think that can get kind of sticky because it's like, I love that the way that I was raised by my parents and also all the adults in the church, I know a lot of that was like, okay, we're doing these things because we love you. So we're going to teach you that you need God, no matter what we're going to teach you that you need to be modest and you know, all those things your whole life, things that I might, might carry with me in my life now, or things I might not carry with my, me in my life now, but they're like teaching all these things. So they're like, cause we love you. Um, but I think where it got messy was there's always that side of it that grew sour when it was very extreme or those sides of it that grew sour when it, it turned into some type of control because it's like, we love you. So we want you to be this way. So we want you to do X, Y, Z. So we want you to be a disciple at age 12, or we want you to be married at 21 in a pure relationship so we want you to whatever it is grow the church go evangelize we want you to do these things and so that's that might blind us from the original thought which is love and so I think that's where the problem is is because yeah I yeah I'm so grateful that I learned how to like be vulnerable or, or do the, whatever it is. But in my mind, a lot of the negative things honestly just come to mind because I think at least in my experience, I can't speak to everyone's, but in my experience, a lot of those things that I know was originally very pure turned into control tactics. I don't know along the way something happened, but it, it just turned into shame tactics or you're not good enough. So we need to teach you how to be better or you're not complete. You're not whole. You're not whatever. And that's why you need God instead of thinking of it like, how can we just love this kid? And I think if we, and sorry if I'm going too long, but I'm like, if at least if we, if we love this kid, we would be wondering and asking the kids that left the church a long time ago, why? We would be asking them, hey, so so what wasn't good for you? We wouldn't just be asking the kids that are in the church now, the kids that are you know now adults and they're also in the ministry. And so we respect them and we're going to ask them their input, you know? Yeah, that's a lot of good points. I mean, the last thing you said, it, it's, and this is in my church, in a lot of my friends' churches, all the same story, very, you know, mostly, is that the census taken to determine what a church is doing right or wrong is more often than not taken from all the people that are in the mold, that either successfully followed the things that they wanted to be followed or successfully, successfully had a pure marriage, successfully uh, uh, is is studying with with these people and getting people baptized is, is doing these things, mm-hmm. and the people that more often than not, and this is a big point too, is I believe ninety five percent of every action done, at least in in my church in this church, was done out of good intention and 
for the love of the person. I'd say 95%, at least in my experience. But the problem is, how do you show that love for that person? In your terms, what do you believe is the right thing to do for someone you love? And in this church context is, oh, it's this list of things means that you're putting them in a good standing for successful right. church, for successful faith, for a fruitful faith, whatever. Um, and that quickly turns into control. And so everyone who doesn't fit that mold, or most of the time, it's looked at as, oh, no, they lost their faith. They fell away. They were prideful. They were this, they were this, they were this. And people are so, can become so blind to the fact that that's just entirely blame shifting and just defense and pushing it all on that person. But yeah, those are the things that I brought up, I was thinking of when you were saying that. So that's, I'm really glad you said those things. Let's talk about, about kingdom kids, which is a phrase you guys mentioned a little earlier. I talk about it in my, in my book. A kingdom kid is a, is a term given to somebody who, who was born into the church, our church, from parents who are both disciples, who were both faithful to the church. In my book, I talk about how it was this kind of badge given to these kids that because their parents are both faithful members of the church and because you were born into it, you were kind of a little emphasized as having a, a better track towards something. There was, a, there was an expectation put on you that you were going to be a stronger Christian or more faithful or you know, less chance of being unfaithful or having more leadership potential, quote-unquote, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I want to get your guys' input on just kingdom kids in general. Give, uh, give me your experience as a kingdom kid specifically and maybe some insight into what that term maybe meant to you and how it maybe affected your experience, if it did. I don't remember ever being like, oh, yeah, I'm a kingdom kid, like when I was like little or anything. But I do remember like kind of having a superiority complex, especially in regards. So I was like in Girl Scouts and I was in um, I was in like a few like, quote unquote, secular things. And I was, I was pretty good friends with like a lot of school friends growing up. But I always remember like kind of like what you mentioned earlier, like just not holding as much as them as high esteem as I did my church friends. And I remember like not investing in them as much, especially when I got to preteens. I think that's when that really like kicked in for me. That's when I really started to like invest in my church friends a lot more and, and started to distance myself from like my school friends a little bit. So I think to me, like, yeah, I, I think I did kind of have like a chip on my shoulder, like, oh yeah, like these are my church friends. And like, when I was at school, I would really only hang out with my other church friends. Um, I think I had this illusion I mean, my family was always pretty messed up, to be honest, especially before before my parents got divorced. They were still kind of messy. So I definitely was given the message that like, oh, if you do everything right, then you'll have a perfect family, like especially when I'm older and I have my own and that like everything will go right for you. Definitely the expectation to like get baptized and all of the parents thinking that you're amazing. And yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but... No, it does. And I think a, a, a point you brought up, which is important, I think, too, is there was an emphasis on kingdom kids. But I think also if a kid was baptized at a young enough age, they, they were kind of grouped in to that emphasis on some kind of esteem. I mean, you're not even that young, like middle school, high school, if, if they were baptized, quote unquote, in time for the world or whatever, 
they were given that badge of, okay, they chose early on, they're in this group of the faithful and, and the leaders and whatever. I mean, in my book, I talk about how in, in my church, there was, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, there was, there was the, the group of disciples, of baptized Christians, the one who had chosen to get baptized, and then uh, and they were called, we call, they called us the front line, like as if the front line in battle. We were the, we were the front line, which is funny because in, in a war, aren't the ones who are put in the front the least valuable? I think they're the ones like the pawns, which I realized later on, I'm like, wait a minute, we're the front line, so we're just the ones getting thrown in. Okay, cool. But, but it was this, you know, it meant like, oh, you guys lead the charge. You guys are the ones we're relying on. The rest of your peers are relying on to either get them baptized or whatever, lead the way. And then there was the second group called the Seekers. They were the ones who were interested but not committed yet. And then there was the third group that didn't even get a name, just the, this, the no names, the ones who were just not there yet. And we were even, there was a, there was a point in, in ninth or 10th grade where they started separating us based on those frontline Seekers or not for where we met on Friday Night Devos. So all the baptized Christians met, met together and all the Seekers met together. And all the third group met together. And it made it completely clear that, okay, we're looked at as having more promise, clearly. And we're given different lessons, given whatever. Different leaders are different places. And I'm like, man, so, so, and I don't remember the lessons, but I'm sure for the front line, they were pretty empowering in quotes. Like, they were like good lessons. Like, you guys are ready to go for Jesus or whatever. And the Seekers, I'm sure, was all about an undertone of persuading them to get baptized and or to study, right? And then I, I always thought, man, if it's like this, that third group that had no name, I wonder if it's it's either either really strong white knuckling trying to convince them that it's worth seeking to get them into the next group, or it's the opposite of you guys just aren't worth it. I, I would assume it went towards the the, the prior. But I'm like, man, it's so clear, the hierarchy here, it, we're just we're high school students. And they're looking at us like, I mean, there's a clear value pyramid here. And it wasn't just kingdom kids. Granted, a lot of the frontline group was inherently kingdom kids because, of course, they're the ones that right. are, feel called and more motivated maybe originally to fill that role of being baptized or whatever. But the ones who were baptized right. in those years were just also clumped in with that. And it was just like a, man... You know, one of those moments. Yeah. But anyway, so I just wanted to say that. But And you know, the preteens are watching. Absolutely. Uh-huh. The preteens oh, are yeah. like watching and they're like, uh-uh, I'm not, I'm not going Absolutely. into that secret category. Because like, they're just terrified. I want to be the frontliner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All oh, for the wrong so reasons. Bad. Let alone that there was no cross, I almost said cross-contamination. There's, there's no, there's no <laughs> c- coinciding with, like, if I'm a baptized, the, the whole thing was all these lessons to the front line were like, bring your peers up, get them in here. But yet, Friday Night Devos, we're not the same house. They were across town. We're not even mingling with them. Like, a good amount of my closest friends were in the Seekers group. And I never saw them on Friday nights. And we had to meet some other time, like, outside of church. I'm like, you're not fostering the things you're trying to tell us to do. Whether that's healthy or not in the first place, I don't understand. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> That that reminds me, I, I feel like that goes into kind of like what I was going to say about like my experience with being a kingdom kid, which is that I just felt like I couldn't just be a kid. Like, I felt like that was almost taken from me because it was like, you're born and then 
the thing is, the next thing is to turn you into a disciple. And once you're a disciple, yeah. it's to turn you into a disciple maker and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And and again, like kind of what I was saying earlier, a lot of what we're supposed to do, like love this person, raise this person, nurture this person, encourage this person, it, it's, it's overshadowed by the fact that those are the objectives. And it felt very much like, I'm not a person. I'm something that needs to be a disciple to make other disciples. And it was almost like we're soldiers that were that like what you were saying, we're like, we're, you know, these things that are used to further an agenda or whatever it is. And it just felt like I couldn't just be a kid because it's like, oh, well, if you're not the right type of kid, then you won't get to yeah. stay here or whatever. Like, I think it was so beautiful that we got to have this community and it was really cool that we were able to have so many moms and dads and all that stuff. And like, I look back on that with fondness, like of family Bible talks and brunches and being with the kids of different ages and getting to get to know other people's parents. Like that was, that was so beautiful, um, honestly, but then there was always the threat of if you don't do life the, the right way, you, you won't be a part of this. Like it's not said out loud, but it's this threat of you have to come to church. That's the, that's the, that's the rule for keeping your family. Like it, uh, you know, that's what it is. And you couldn't just be a kid. You couldn't just go live your life or do what's fun or, you know, make friends who you wanted to make. It's like, okay, you make friends, but make sure it's the right friends. Okay. Like, yeah, you love soccer. We'll make sure it doesn't get in the way of Devo's. Okay. Well, you believe this. Well, that's not the right belief. Um, Okay. You think that you're a woman who, you know, has a strong voice and wants to speak. Oh, sorry. No, that's not, this is your box. This is your template (laughs) because again, because we're getting confused about loving people and we're just going straight to the controlling. Um, And so it becomes this like conveyor belt, which is why so many of us have common experiences because we were on the same conveyor belt. Um, If we if we didn't have the conveyor belt, I think we would have very different experiences. If everyone was just like, love your kid, how they need to be loved. I don't think we would be able to, I don't think I would be able to meet you, meet you and automatically have like 50 stories from our childhood that are the same. Like I just genuinely don't think like it wouldn't happen. Um, because our parents, the people, the parent, the people around us would have done what was best for us as individuals, as beautiful creations is beautiful amazing people part of you know like all that no. i sincerely believe that humans are just amazing and beautiful and wonderful as they are and if we had just focused on that i think it would have just been so different you know yeah i don't know i just wish kids were allowed to be kids and not well i need to raise you a certain way so that when you're 12 you'll get dunked or when you're 21 you'll get married as a virgin or whatever, like whatever the things are. You always were very aware of the track you were on and what your Mm -hmm. last checkpoint was and what your next checkpoint is to get to. Mm -hmm. And it was less of, I I felt loved, but it was less of 
these people are just here to love me and more. No, no, no. I'm not being loved. I'm being utilized. I'm, it's through love, I think, a lot of the time, but, but the utilization of what, I'm, what role I'm supposed to play is taking precedence over that love. Um, and a lot of that I wasn't aware of until later anyway. But, but looking back, I'm like, no, 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 that was clearly what was going on, what I felt, but I didn't quite, it was normal. And that's what life was. That's who I was. That was that's what my life was like. So, oh, that was normal. But now realizing, oh, you know what? I know how that is supposed to be now, and that's not great. But, you know, those are really, really good points, though. Okay, I want to get into to space makers here. Whoever, you guys can all answer this, or one person, to share about the inception of space makers. Whose idea was it? What was the process of getting you guys all on board? Uh, what was the motivation behind, behind being prompted to actually make it a reality? So obviously pandemic happens and everyone's at home on Zoom doing all these things. A few people from the church um, that I knew were on a lot of Zoom calls about like, you know, politics and church question mark and like the youth question mark and like people are leaving the church question mark. I don't know. I just I, I noticed that there was like familiar faces in a lot of the Zoom calls and like people were just having all these conversations and then. I would get on the phone with all my friends, a lot of my friends from around the world, and we would just talk about this stuff for hours and hours and like something needs to change. The church is, you know, going like this and like so many of your friends are leaving and they're not just leaving, they're leaving traumatized and they're leaving so hurt and like all this stuff is happening and it felt like the world was kind of burning. Like in many ways, it kind of was. Um, And and even it was seeping into the church and we were looking around like what's happening we need to talk about this and like um and i was just like what if we just you know broadcasted the conversations that we're having it's not anything like unique honestly because i think a lot of people are having them but like for the people who don't know that maybe you know it'll kind of open their eyes to different perspectives and stuff like that a few of us were talking about doing podcasts or like doing something and basically we just like gathered and we're like why don't we just do it all together instead of just doing it combine our forces yeah exactly i was like avengers assemble like let's just do it all together (laughs) um make it um a collective effort and so yeah that's kind of what we did we started it off as just like I don't know. We want to talk about these issues and we'll see if anyone listens, but we're just, yeah, like making public the conversations that we were already having for years and for hours in the day sometimes. And so it kind of snowballed a bit. It got a pretty good amount of attention, which is really funny. It's like number, it's like the top 5% of most followed on Spotify right now. Yeah crazy that's awesome Uh, yeah so that's good I guess but it's just it was a it's definitely a journey a lot of the way that we approach the podcast and feel about the podcast I think changed a lot over time because we the beginning was very like we're all in this we're dedicated to this church we just want to fix it we just want to help it whatever it takes um and then I think over time a few of us left because we realized, you know, in the end, we you can make a decision between keeping and trying and helping and all that stuff and, you know, living your life because you only get, you know, one life to live. And it's, it's definitely a different mindset that we have. Listening to that first season, it was very palpable to, to hear 
your guys as a group and kind of individually your 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 kind of progression in your mindset it was very clear the first like two or three episodes that you had a very specific direction and you kept that direction but as you went the conversation started changing a little bit as you were realizing things and that there's a lot of things but um one thing in my own journey which i talk about in one of the in one of my chapters uh near the end because i i i've left that church uh, i think four years ago you don't just it, when you're involved so deeply as i was as you guys sound like you were too you don't just leave you you really try to figure out the problem first and if you can identify it, then you really try to help bring change. And the problem is, and the point comes where you're like, okay, is it time to leave? That comes when you go, okay, people want change, but the people who would need to be on board to incite that change are not willing. And that is, you're not going to change a church if the leaders or some of them or whatever are not on board to help with that. And exactly. that's a church by church basis. Yeah. And I, I think... I kind of love how like almost messy it sounds when you hear our po- our podcast like and the see the progression because it's it's so real it's so raw it's like we literally yeah. started this thing with a lot of question marks but like we I don't know like you can literally hear us like having these little light bulbs along the way or having these little discoveries along the way like these podcasts like you know people tell me like oh this episode like changed my mindset like this or changed my life like this and I'm like same like I was there too like it it literally like what Marty Solomon said in this one like you know changed my my way of looking at things or whatever um and so that's kind of something that I love about it it's like if you do kind of hear it like in the progression like you can kind of see us like changing and changing our minds and all that stuff I completely agree that it's you know when you leave the church it's you can't just you don't it's not like oh I'm gonna switch a gym like it's yeah right it's like you have to question every single thing you believe every part of yourself every like memory of your childhood like all of that stuff you have to think about and everything that you've been raised with every fiber of your being is like at war with itself is what it feels like it's a very serious very I don't know for some people it's it's a very big decision but I feel like it's something that didn't even like I didn't even decide it's just something that like happened almost I I just kind of love that about our podcast that it was a it's not we're not coming like complete as like these people that are like let us show you the answers we're literally these like little kids with question marks and then you can kind of see us like grow into like bigger little kids with other question marks yeah I was gonna say you guys don't come with all these answers you come with all these questions and the people listening feel like a part of the group not just being preached at or something they're like oh I'm realizing this oh they're realizing it too at the exact same time oh interesting light bulb for all of us communal experience you know yeah Megan go ahead I think something that I've learned I mean I've learned so much through this process and I felt like I mean I don't know if Janae and Izzy can relate but it's felt like I mean it sounds cheesy but just like a roller coaster ride where one day I might be feeling this way about the whole thing and then I might be feeling the complete opposite or you know, I feel this way about a particular subject and then it completely changes, um, especially it gets complicated when you're also feeling like 
your opinion is being platformed and then it's like oh shoot should I say that because I might not feel that way later and I don't want to be quoted this way or even like your relationship with the church kind of gets muddled in with everything else and it's I don't know for me it's just gotten really complicated and I think something that I've learned throughout this process one um I've had to wrestle a lot personally with just my feelings of cynicism. And I think I forget how beautiful like the process is on learning new things and just seeing, talking to people who have been impacted because there's, there's weeks where I just don't want to think about any of this. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) like there's literally weeks um, where I feel like I am done questioning things. I am done like uncovering all of my like trauma stuff. I'm done trying to figure out what I think about, I don't know, the inerrancy of the Bible or what I think about this or what I think about that. I am so done. I literally don't want to think about anything. And I don't want anybody to ask me what I think about it. You know what I mean? And so I think something I've learned about this process of this podcast is like just getting to talk to listeners and just like other people, just seeing them change. Like I've talked to like old people who are like, I've used to think this and like now I don't think this anymore. It's been really cool to just see people change. And I think I lost hope for a bit that people could even change with how much stuff that we see with, you know, the the church community and all of that. It's just, it can be really, I get really cynical. That's a big thing though. Cynicism is a big thing. I mean, on one side, it's a defense mechanism, right? And cynicism is not usually based on faulty information. It's based on experience. And then you're taught, I don't really see very many positives to that. And I don't trust that that's going to turn out this way. Um, Which can be a tricky thing to get out of because it's not just based on faulty emotion or whatever. It's like, no, no, I'm cynical because this thing happened. And it's about trying to navigate that and figure your way out of that in a healthy way. I think something that I found really interesting was just like the the publicness of it all. Space makers tiptoed a lot more, especially at the beginning. Whether or not that's a good thing, you know, is up to people's interpretation. But we did tiptoe a lot and it was very intentional um, because we wanted, we were like, oh, okay. So when our friends say things that are hard, everyone says it's according, it's because of their tone. So what if we change our tone and what if we're just super nice about it? And that's kind of what, how we started Space Makers. We did the things that we were like expected and supposed to do and did the things that were hopefully going to get us the most ears, I guess, and not piss off the people as well. Palatable. It's the most palatable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was interesting because it showed me a lot about where the church was at um because even when we were nice they found something else to pick at or like oh yeah you're nice but mm, the you know still your tone or the way that you're saying it or what do you really want to say it now or you know is your like too many white men oh you have not enough white men you you know like you're too extreme you're not extreme enough it was you know, every, I've gotten like hate mail, like legit hate mail. Um, and I was just like, what, like, what is that? Like, it was just, it was very eye-opening to me. 
like we were some people literally worshiped the ground we walked on and some people were like you're literally dragging people to hell <laughs> like yeah. it was so extreme and i think it taught me a lot about what's going on behind the scenes what's going on in people's minds where the church was at with you know, what do you do if there's a bad review about the church? Like, what do you do about that? And it was very, it was so interesting how somebody like me who grew up as like a very, like I was a church darling. I was, you know, doing all the things. I was the perfect kingdom kid person doing all, you know, and somebody like me, once I started being like, Hey, love y'all, but maybe we can, you know, talk about this. Once I started doing that, it was like, I was a threat. I was an enemy. I was ostracized. I was immediately about and immediately. And I'm not saying this as like, I'd feel like people would listen and be like, oh, she's just an emotional, bitter woman. But um, maybe I am. I don't know. Like, it depends on what you uh, think. But um, I'm saying that because, wow, that's so interesting that the second that somebody is saying these things, you know, it's a light switch. It just went like 180. And it's crazy because it's not like I'm out here saying these crazy made up lies. I'm everything that I say is backed by like hundreds of people who agree with me. I'm just the, so I just so happen to be the person who has the mic. Right. And then everyone's at me. Um, And so that was really, really, really telling. And that was a huge Obviously, there were so many parts to it, but there was a huge part to me deciding that maybe, you know, my whole life shouldn't be about fighting for this institution if it doesn't really want to be changed. That was a huge thing that I learned and um, that, yeah, opened my eyes, I guess. Yeah, no, that's really, really good. Okay, so I want to ask you guys, what has been the best slash most positive result of being a church kid and what for you has been maybe the most negative um i think just like my friendships i wouldn't know anybody that i know if not for um the church and then the most negative <laughs> the trauma the trauma <laughs> that i am still working through <laughs> and will probably always work through yeah yeah that's good i mean it's not good but it's it's a good answer. Great trauma. I love it. Congratulations. Yeah, love it. Um, Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, Isabel, same question. All right. What has been the best slash most positive result of being a church kid and what has been the worst slash most negative? Oh, boy. I liked the fact, well, besides the community aspect, which, I mean, you could get community anywhere, so that, you know, but I, I liked the fact that I had that for sure. Um, and I think another good that came out of it was just, I was raised to be very intentional in the way that I thought about my life. I liked that we were taught so many kind of things about like, this is how the world works. Here's it broken down. Here's what you need to do. Um, And I liked that I kind of had something to build off of and figure out what I wanted to take and what I didn't, I guess. I think that's that was pretty cool. The fact that um, I grew up kind of thinking about what is my purpose in life? Who am I? What is my identity? All these big questions. Um, And at a young age, yeah, at a young age, 
And I think a lot of that was was cool, like the fact that I, I was thinking about those things, because I'll meet people who didn't grow up very religious and they just have never thought about it, which is fine for them, I guess. But and I, it's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, I guess for me, I kind of liked, you know, having those big questions just in my personality, I guess, um, because it kind of led me down different paths. And maybe my answer to those questions are different, but like it was I don't know. I think that part was kind of cool. And then in terms of the negative stuff, like there's a lot, like I'm going to not going to sugarcoat it. There's a lot. Um, and kind of like what I said, I, I felt like I wasn't able to really have a genuine childhood, which I can't ever get back. No. Um, I think I was not able to trust myself. I was not able to take care of myself and not able to love myself as much as I could have. I'm not saying I couldn't ever or that, you know, they were holding a gun in my head and me don't take care of yourself. It's a lot complicated than that. But I think it was, yeah, like kind of what I've been saying, like the the goals or the agendas were oftentimes more important than than me being a child to take care of. And I think that has affected all of us in some way or another, you know, so. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, also, once again, not great. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Okay, here's another question for you guys. What is one thing you would say to your younger church kids self, knowing everything you know now about God, church, faith, yourself, etc.? That's a really hard one. Um, I do think that it goes into what we were just talking about. That sounds so cliche, but I was not myself till two years ago. Like I, I am still just finding out who I am because basically since I was 10, I've been like behavior modifying to be what everybody else wanted me to be so that I could gain the love of the only community I ever knew. And I wasn't, I didn't feel like I could, I I could go out of that community to find that love because it just, it wasn't, it was too stigmatized to, you know, leave our community to go find unconditional love elsewhere. So I wish that I knew that I was allowed to just be authentic and be myself and just allow whoever was willing to love me just the way I am to be enough for me and to know that that was enough for God as well. Yeah, absolutely. And not only enough for God, but that's who he wants you, who he made you to be. What about you, Isabel? What is one thing you would say to your younger church kid self, knowing everything you know now about God, church, faith, and yourself? This one's a big one. Try not to get emotional whenever I think about this, actually, because I think like I I've been going to therapy for a couple years now and it's been so good. I feel like my therapist at this point has seen me go through so many changes and transitions and stuff like that. And like a lot of what we talk about is talking to like younger Isabel. And it's been a really cool Mm -hmm. thing that I've been learning that it's like, okay, when I'm, when I'm scared or when I'm anxious or when I'm depressed, what are the things that little Isabel is trying to say or things that little Isabel is like afraid of and how can I talk to her and help her out? And cause mm. she's still in there, you know? And so like, 
I think that's something I think about a lot in my life. And I think if I were to talk to little me, I think I would say one, to trust my gut. <laughs> um, because I think yeah. I, knew, I knew a lot of these things when I was really little. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think we all did in some way. Like, I don't know, I had these little questions as a, I remember like being five and being like, wait, but why is that that way? Or why do I have to do that? Or, or why do we treat people like that? And all these huge questions. And then I learned to like, stuff them away as I grew older and now I'm like she was right like five yeah. year old Isabel thing just that pure like wait why I thought we we're supposed to love people like it's that simple and then as you get older yeah. you're like no <laughs> and like, yeah so that's huge just trust your gut like you would be surprised that feeling in your chest like how much that can drive you towards such good things because I feel like that's just something that we're all given and you know but then the other thing too is to always keep learning which I don't think those two are like against each other I think they go hand in hand like trust your gut and and keep learning like just always always learn I think it's wonderful to learn about different perspectives. I think it's wonderful to learn what's going on in the world, even though it's it's really difficult at times. I think that is huge. I think it's huge to look outside of your bubble and yeah. to one, to realize you're in a bubble because especially growing up in the church, you are in a bubble. Like, I don't care who you are. You just are. <laughs> and so realizing that and then to like just looking around you looking at the world looking at all the different ways that people see things and you know soaking it up and not that doesn't mean that you're going to believe everything that everyone says but just listening I just think that's so huge and um I I just wish I could have told my little self like don't worry like just keep reading the books keep you know talking to people asking questions keep seeking yeah yeah exactly I mean a big part I mean, it's always, at least for me, but I, I have a feeling you guys all relate, is the things that I knew and were taught to know about, especially about Christianity, about God, Bible, faith, whatever. I knew them because they were the only perspective I was taught to know about those things. I wasn't able to learn other ways people do it. So, of course, that's the right way. It's the only way, Right. And we're, we're, I was told there are other ways to look about it, but it was never worth delving into because it just wasn't true, apparently. Right, so right. So learning, learning is being exposed to so many other ways without the pressure of having to take them on as your own belief. Because when you're learning, there's only two options, really. It either validates your own belief in something, which makes mm -hmm. it stronger, or it presents you with a better option. Those are the only two options. And either one is positive. There's no yeah. other reason not, there's no reason not to expose yourself exactly. to more things. Right. It's honestly super like arrogant of us to be like the thing that I was born with is perfect and yeah. that's the truth and that's the only way and I'm just gonna start my life convincing everyone that it is are you serious like you think yeah. that you just 
like out of every single, you know, set of parents you could have been born to, you were born into the exact right sector of the exact right religion at the exact right time where they perfected the exact right Bible studies. And you're not even going to like look at anything else. You're just going to automatically not only believe it, but also convince everyone else to believe it. And it's like, there's no evaluation for anything because then that means that you're sinful too or struggling yeah. too or whatever. I just think that's so crazy. Like looking back that I, because I, this is what I thought, like I, at 13, yeah. I was like, yeah, I was born into the perfect spot and I'm not looking at, at anything else. Like, because <laughs> we, we trusted the people who were telling us this. So we, 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 right, that's all right. we knew. And the people who were telling right. us this stuff, we had been grown to trust. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you said the word arrogant in my book in a different chapter. I talk about this exact thing. I, I, I say how, like how profoundly arrogant it is that we not only believed full heartedly, but we professed that we had God completely figured out to a T. Right. Every right. scripture, every belief, every whatever was exactly right. how it was supposed to be, and we somehow knew it all. Mm-hmm. What a disservice to God mm-hmm. because of how small we make him in that. Oh, yeah. There was one thing that you made me think of back when you were talking about how you weren't sure how trusting your gut and learning connected. And I was like, well, it's amazing how much you can learn from trusting your gut, you know? Oh, yeah. Even if your gut leads you down a path that isn't great, at least you learn. Like, that's yeah, another no. thing. Like, I wish I knew as a kid, like, go make mistakes. Yeah, date the wrong boy. You're going to learn. Like, I don't yep. regret. Like, I dated someone in high school, too. I don't regret that at all. Like, yeah. you're, go go to the wrong school and realize, oh, man, I need to change, transfer, change my major, whatever. It's like, who who cares? Yeah. Like, life is messy. No one knows what they're doing. Everyone's doing this for the first time. Like, everyone's figuring Everyone it out. Everyone is. Right. All right. I got one final question for you guys. So this whole thing, my book, this podcast are all based around the idea of crumpled papers, which I define as the beliefs and ideas that we may have at one point believed with full certainty, but have since had to unlearn or reevaluate our perspectives on. So what for you was one or a few of the biggest, most important crumpled papers that you've had to unlearn or relearn or reevaluate your perspective on? This is a good one. I think something my whole life that I was taught since like freaking the Kingdom Kid class that we would go to is that like you need to stand for something and like you need to know the truth about everything. And that is the firm foundation of which you need to stand on and that your life needs to be based on. And I think my whole life, I have been like digging to find it truth about everything. I, I just think I've built so much of my security on knowing the truth and like, oh, you know, I need to teach everybody else like what the right thing is, or I need to teach everybody else like that they're wrong or to like go into my relationships, like needing to convert them or having an agenda, or I need to like correct myself or I need to do this or I need to do that or not allowing the spirit to slowly reveal things to me versus, oh, I'm going to force it all and just so that I can be right. And I think something that I have just learned is that faith is all about just 
not knowing. <laughs> and like, I don't need to prove to anybody anything. I don't need to know. I don't like the more, you know, the more, you know, you don't know. And that's okay. And I don't need to have my security in everything that I know. That's great. I mean, if, if we had all the answers, then what role does faith play? There is no faith. Exactly. It's knowing. No, exactly. it's faith. No, that's really, really great. I love exactly. that answer. Exactly. What about you, Isabel? What's an idea or belief that you have had to unlearn, relearn, or reevaluate your perspective on? Oof. There's a lot. I'm trying to think. I think something that I that I've been learning recently is just that like life doesn't have to be miserable in order for you to be a good person. <laughs> That's a good one. It sounds dramatic, right? But but you know exactly what I'm talking about because it's mm-hmm. it's like there was this and I was really bad because I really really took this to heart this whole like suffering means that you get a badge of honor and God wants you to do the hard things and Like, I genuinely thought that, like, living my life every day, like, hating getting up was, like, normal for being a good Doing the Lord's work. Doing the Lord's work. At one point, I got actually very sick because I was doing too much. And I just thought, wow, God must love me. Like, it was really bad. Like, I genuinely, I got really, like, physically sick. And I'm still recovering from that. But... It was because, and I I just generally thought like, oh, being in physical pain all day was normal, was you pushing yourself, denying yourself, or you go choosing the career path that was not what you wanted, but might, you know, be better for the church. That's great. Or choosing the partner that maybe you're not in love with, but you like you know, he's a Bible talk leader, like whatever, go for it. Like, that's what I thought, like as a teen, like as a campus student, I was just like setting myself up to hate my life genuinely. Like, because I just didn't know that God was somebody who loves me. It was just this interesting, like toxic thing of like, you know, because I need to do these things. I am I can't enjoy the other people around me. I can't enjoy the things that I was put on this earth to enjoy or whatever. Like, and now I think I'm in such a healthier place. It's kind of crazy. Like my therapist is always like, wow, like the <laughs> like person, like she's always like amazed at like, not that I've like arrived or anything, but like, I was just telling her like recently, actually, that I was like, I love my life right now. Like, it's crazy. And she was like, give yourself some credit for it, because this is a life you worked very hard to build because you thought that you had to hate it genuinely. Like, I know not everyone was at that extreme that I was, but I I took all of the denying yourself probably a little too hard. Um, And I think realizing rest is good. (laughs) Like, you know, all those things that come with it, it's like taking care of yourself is good. Sleeping in if you need it is good. Having hobbies that aren't productive, that don't make disciples is good. Like it's healthy. With my health stuff, I, I realized so much of it was just that I wasn't able to sleep enough. I wasn't able to eat the food that I needed to eat. I was like, there was just simple taking care of yourself things that actually helped me a lot. <laughs> and I didn't know that until I was like, you know what? There's sometimes where maybe 
going to Bible talk isn't as important as taking care of the body that God gave me because I don't feel good tonight. Stuff like that, like changing my mindset little by little helped so much to where like I'm in a place where yeah, like life isn't perfect or anything, but like, I love my life. I love living every day. I'm so much healthier because I'm able to be like, oh my God, God loves me. And I'm going to actually act yeah. like it, you know, like, I'm not going to act like God. I'm this slave who's doing God's bidding so I can go God's church and blah, blah, blah. blah. I'm going to act like God actually loves me because he made me. If we believe in a God who doesn't want me to like read with a glass of wine at night like I don't you know like what kind of <laughs> yeah I know it sounds silly but that's that's what it's all about no I mean it, it's really true the thing I was thinking this entire time was what a bummer for us but also for God to intentionally right. create such an amazing world with so many amazing things uh -huh. creating you with all the perfect things to be able to enjoy those things and then uh -huh. seeing seeing his church specifically Tell mm -hmm. his people that we can't in his name. Like, what a bummer. If he didn't want us to enjoy life, he wouldn't yeah. have made the sun. He wouldn't have made the clouds. He wouldn't have made light. He wouldn't have made birds. He wouldn't, like, and yes, like, these things and, and most, if not everything in existence serves some type of purpose. But if God didn't want us to enjoy them, he could have made them a, an invariable amount of other ways that are much less enjoyable. But he made things not only purposeful, but also so creative and enjoyable and, and beautiful. They all serve a purpose, but they're here intentionally so that we can delight in them and creation and all this stuff. And then we're, yeah. we're sold the lie that, no, in the name of denying ourselves for God, for Jesus, for his kingdom, we have to deny ourselves of these delights that are yeah. in many ways the simplest, most intimate form of the expression of his love for us. And when we miss that part out, we miss out on the personal aspect of that relationship, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because um, now, like, you know, I'll still see some stuff on social media or whatever from people who are still very, like, in, in the church. And they'll be, sometimes they'll be posting stuff that's like, you know, you may be struggling, but there's a prize in heaven or stuff like that. There's so much like glorification of like just hating your life. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, man, like I, I just feel so sad for them because I I know what it was like to be in that place and to honestly think that I wasn't worthy of enjoying my life. Sure, you can suffer through life with the promise of greatness in heaven. But I think why not? both why not enjoy life and then enjoy heaven too <laughs> and i think that's mm -hmm. that's that's kind of the vision is no 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 we there's a way to do both and not just a way to do it where it's acceptable that that's the way that isn't that i think god would most appreciate us to be able to experience in a way yeah um i just don't understand how we got to like oh, this person's so awesome because they're, you know, like they're so sad all the time. Yeah. Like I, I was at a point where when I was like at my peak, like serving the church, like hours that I yeah. clocked in, like the most things, I was so sad, like genuinely. I And I would do worship, um, the worship team, and I would sing really sad songs on Sunday. And I would like almost cry like every Sunday. And like, no one asked me, like, are you 
good. Like, cause I would literally get so sad. Like I would sing oceans and I'm like crying on the oceans. And 17 like, reverbs, like bridges yeah, over and over and over. And then, um, and then like, but the, the thing was, everyone was like, you're so inspiring. I want to be more like you. That's so awesome. And I'm like, I'm just sad. Like, what is this? Yeah. Like, it's so, such a confusing place to be. Something that Marty Solomon talks about. He talks about this stuff like a lot. And he, I think he said it in one of our episodes with him, but he was just like, why don't, why are like, when, once you start questioning this like certainty and these rules and whatever and and start realizing that there's so many question marks like you you start becoming more and more like the kid who's just like on a trampoline in the backyard like that's that's what you want to go towards you know this like wow life is wonderful and I like I'm just a beautiful creation and being on this trampoline doesn't help anybody but like getting back to that purity you know and like beautifulness or or when even when we were talking to him about like what happens when you don't have any answers to anything what happens when you're so confused and you have all these questions and blah blah blah, blah. you don't have anything to stand for he was like throw a party <laughs> like pop some bubbly like go throw some throw a party and I'm like yeah that's so beautiful like I the Jesus that I that I read in the Bible I think he would have been like open in the wine bottles like he yeah. would have been like let's yes absolutely I mean I don't think you even need the wine bottles he'd just be making wine out of water <laughs> um but yeah no I I completely agree with with all of that and um and that's all I got so uh, before we end the episode, I want to make sure I shout you guys out. If you are listening and have not checked out the Space Makers podcast, do yourself a favor and, and go check them out on anywhere podcasts are available. If you're interested in following any of my guests today, Isabel, Megan, or Janae, uh, all three of their social media handles will be in the description below. Actually, I'll also put the a link to the podcast, the Space Makers podcast as well in, in the description. So check that stuff out to follow them. Um, yeah, anything I'm missing? We have the website, which is spacemakerspodcast.com. Um, and that has all the episodes. It has like different resources, book recommendations. There's like a lot there. So yeah, feel free to check it out. Awesome. Well, guys, that is it for episode one. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you to my three guests Isabel, Megan, and Janae. Next week's conversation will be all about contemporary Christian culture. And we have a great guest joining us for the discussion. You don't want to miss it. I hope to see you back here. Until then, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers Podcast.